0: So, we're in this series, What is it? what do we believe? And as we've said before, just a reminder of where we're coming from, we as a church stand on the Evangelical Alliance basis of faith, it's what we stand for, it's what we believe in, and that statement is 11 statements, but it's summarised very helpfully by care um, into seven, and they're the seven that we're digging into. And if you want to know where that 11 statements is, the Evangelical Alliance statement of faith is, it's there on our website. And if you can't find that, let us know and we'll help you find it. Um, And you can have a little read of that. These seven statements then, creation, fall, revelation, kingdom, salvation, mission and social action, new creation. We have done creation, fall, and today we are doing revelation. Why is it important that we know what we believe? Why? Because, first of all, it shapes our leadership, it shapes our ministry as a church. It, it defines what we do, who we appoint as leaders, who we appoint as ministers. Everything that we do stands on these, these truths. And secondly, it gives us a reason, to, uh, helps us to answer those who ask us, what do you believe? What do you believe? How, how do you answer that question if you don't know? So that's what we're doing, and that's why we're doing this series uh, today and over these next few Sundays. We're going to finish on Easter Sunday we have the 24th of uh, March when we're having uh, mission Sunday. Uh, but between now and then, we're going to carry those, do the next four in the series. So the text that CARE put together for this particular uh, topic, this idea of revelation, is this. that God revealed himself first to Israel and gave them wisdom and the law, setting out how to live well in their world. He sent his prophets to speak out against injustice, and he promised that he would one day send... A deliverer. The Bible's own testimony is that the whole of the Bible is of incredible value uh, and importance. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me read you these words. This is, uh, so Paul uh, is the guy that's writing this. This It's one of his, his letters. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy was a guy who was younger in faith, he'd become a Christian, uh, grown up in a, in a, in a faith-filled family uh, with his grandparents and his mum were teaching his faith. Uh, so he'd grown up, in, in, if you like, in church, so to speak. Um, and Paul had kind of adopted him as his son in faith and was kind of encouraging him in leadership. And this is second, his second letter he writes to Timothy. And right at the end, this is his kind of final words to Timothy. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. So Timothy was with Paul in these places. He had seen it firsthand. He understood what, what Paul was writing here. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me just read that again, just in case you missed that bit. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Guess what, guys? <laughs> okay? I don't need to spell it out to you, really, do I? But it doesn't kind of leave much option there, really. If we want to follow Christ Jesus, we are going to be persecuted. We're going to find tough times. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, says to us, but as for you guys, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Just in case we we're in any doubt, when Paul writes to Timothy here about the Holy Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. Isn't it interesting, did you notice this, that the Holy Scriptures... But the Old Testament, because at this point, none of the New Testament had been written down. The Holy Scriptures, Paul says, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How how does that happen in the Old Testament? Jesus Christ doesn't even get mentioned in the Old Testament. So how does that happen? But, it's true. (laughs) If If you only have the Old Testament and you don't have the New Testament, if you only had the Old Testament, is still able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we have the advantage and the blessing having the New Testament, of having these words. But if you only had the Old Testament, that statement is true. And he goes on to say, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God. And what is it for? It's that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, the Old Testament does that. <laughs> okay? The Old Testament builds us up for every good work. It leads us to salvation. Now, how many of us see the Old Testament as doing that? Not many of us, I suspect. We tend to sort of skip the Old Testament to the New Testament because that's the easier bit. There are bits of the Old Testament we like. You know, we, we jump into the Psalms because they're quite nice, some of them, some of them are a little bit interesting. But, you know, we kind of skip those bits and dig into the bits that are actually quite nice. But actually, the Old Testament, as it is, can lead us to repentance and salvation in Christ Jesus and do everything, thoroughly equip us for every good work. The Old Testament is summarized in four things. History, the law, wisdom, and the prophets. And these four sections, these four different ways of of text that we have in the Old Testament help us to understand what those things do so we're going to dig into that a little bit this morning before we do that we're going to find go back to the history part of that you know god's people uh, that statement from care says that god revealed himself to his people to israel first to israel what does that actually look like what does it mean the history books the history part of the old testament tells the story of the people of israel From when they were initially chosen, through the whole sort of when they came into the promised land, to occupation of the promised land, they were then exiled and then they came back with the promise of a new beginning. God chose a people in order to conduct a blessing to the nations. This is what he says to Abram. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The people of Israel, the chosen nation were descended from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob and then the 12 tribes of Israel linked to the 12 sons of Jacob. And the story of the people of Israel is a sad story. It's a nation who were promised a blessing and who were promised that they would be a blessing to the nations. God chose them in order that they would be the conduit of his love and grace to all nations. He showed them how to live their lives. The way that he instructed them, the way that he gave them instructions was how to live, and what it looks like to have a relationship with God, the one true God. And they spectacularly messed up. They became much more concerned with their own blessing, with their own land, with their own success. And as he said to the judges, as it's recorded in the book of Judges, everyone did what they felt was right in their own eyes. They lost sight of their mandate to be a blessing to every nation. And the story unfolds through the pages of the Old Testament, as recorded through the history books. It is of God's people who choose time and again to go their own way, to do their own thing, to focus on themselves. To focus on what their relationship with God looks like for them. And what does God do? He continues to reach out to them. He continues to show grace and love and forgiveness to them. He continues to call them back into relationship with him. He continues to chase them down. To call them into that place where they know him as God. And for a season they'd come back and then they'd drift away. They'd come return and, and repent and then they'd go off and do their own thing again. They were a chosen people. A holy nation. But only in order to be a blessing to other people. <laughs> now, before we get too hard on the nation of Israel and the people of Israel in the Old Testament, it's worth noting that uh, because of their sin and rebellion, kind of God said, OK, there's going to be a new people. And that new people were called the church. And if you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, we are called as the church, a holy, pre- uh, holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. The new nation, this new creation, this new uh, embodiment of this, this group of people who are to be a blessing to the nations is now not the nation of Israel, it's now the church. Those who own the name of Jesus Christ. But we have the same mandate. The same calling is on us. We are meant to be a blessing to the nations. It is not about us being blessed for our own sake. But how often do we become more concerned about us and about our reputation, about our success, about our land, so to speak, what it looks like for us to be blessed. And we forget what it means to be a blessing to our neighbours, what it means to love our neighbours. I mean, My prayer for this church and the motivation that shapes my ministry and that shapes everything that I do as a minister is that I don't want us to forget that mandate. Everything that we do must be about loving our neighbour, being a blessing to the nations, because that is the mandate that we have been given. And we cannot lose sight of that. And if we lose sight of it, we're going to go down the same path as the nation of Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. If we separate those two statements out, loving God from loving our neighbour... We're not hide into nothing. We've fallen short of what God wants. Those two statements cannot be separated. They are one and the same. Part of the same thing. You cannot love God without loving your neighbour. You cannot love your neighbour without loving God in the way that God wants us to. And when we separate them out, we've fallen short of what God wants. And we're going to fall, trap, fall into the trap of the Israelites and miss what it means to be a blessing to the nations. Folks, as the church of, of, of God in this place... We must, must, must remember that our calling is to be a blessing to the nations. Let's not become so preoccupied with our own blessing and what it means for us to be in relationship with God. that we, we miss that and forget that. The history books remind us in the Old Testament of how the nation of Israel forgot what they were there for, what they were called to do, what their mandate was, who God had called them to be. He called them into relationship with him. He blessed them in order that they would be a blessing to the nations. They put a full stop after the first part. <laughs> they were called into relationship with God and they were blessed, full stop. And they forgot that. And we're meant to be a blessing to the nations. And we're meant to show to the nations what it means to follow Jesus. We're meant to live our lives in such a way as it honors God. We're meant to show the world out there what it means to live for Jesus. That is the mandate that we have. That was the mandate they had. And so to help us to do that and to help the Israelites do that, what did God do? God gave them the law. Now, if you've ever tried to read through the second half of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know that the law is pretty hard to read. And yet it's fundamental to our faith. It's the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. How do we follow God? How do we honour God? How do we show the world what it means To live for God. For the law gives us everything that we need. Alex Levani said it. Everything that we need is in the Old Testament to how to live for him. What does Jesus say about the law? He says in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus hasn't come to get rid of the law. We can't just go, well, the law doesn't apply because Jesus has come. No. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The law is still stands, but it's fulfilled in Christ. The law given to Moses revealed who God is. He declared to Moses who he was. He said to Moses, this is who I am. Exodus 34. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. The Lord, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Exodus 34. And throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, in the law and in his engagement with his people, God tells the people who he is. He reveals himself to them. He says, this is who I am. I am the God of, of compassion and grace, of faithfulness. That's, this is who I am. And that's revealed in my, in my words to you, but it's also revealed in the pages of Scripture, in the law that I give you. It's all we need to live a holy and blameless life. What does the psalmist say? He says this, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? How can we live right? How can we do the right thing as Christians? What does it mean for us to live? What does the writer say? By living according to your word. What word is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the law. Because that's what they had. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. That's why we're encouraging us to remember Scripture. I've hidden your word in my heart. Not literally, but we've, we've, we've memorized it. We've put it in a, there, locked it away. Why? That we might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoicing in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your words. The law was given to the people to help them to live holy, blameless lives. Now, do we take those words seriously? Do we neglect his word? Do we ignore what it says? Do we not hide it away? Do we not allow his word to shape how we live our lives? But everything that we need to live for God is in the Bible. And if we only have the Old Testament, we've got everything that we need. We have got the added blessing of having the New Testament as well. So the the people of Israel were not just called to to tell the people about this blessing that they could have. They were called to show it and to live it. And when you look at and compare the, the law that was given... By God to the people of Israel, comparing them to the law of other nations around at that time, the law that we have in of our, our Bibles, the law that was the law of God given to the Israelites, is full of compassion and grace and mercy and justice. And it, it's markedly different from the laws of other nations around. Now one of the challenges that we have today in our discipleship is what do we understand by? The law. When we talk about the law, what do we mean? We don't like that phrase. It feels a little bit heavy. It feels a bit like a rod I'm trying to beat us into submission. That's not what God intended. The law is meant to be something that helps us and frames our life in order to live for him, with freedom, with joy. And if we approach the law with a negative attitude towards it, I don't want to be told how to live my life. Then we're going to struggle. Just this morning I was reading um, Tim Keller's Reflections on the Book of Proverbs and he talks in there about this fact that God created the world and he set the world in motion. He says, how on earth are we meant to live our lives in order to, to, to get the maximum of life? Well, Surely it has to be in relation to how God, the creator, set things up. And when God created the world and he set everything in motion and he says, this is how I want you to live... He's not doing that because he wants to be difficult with us and hard on us. He's doing it because he wants us to live in his world to the maximum, to the best. But if we ignore what he says, if we don't do what he says, we're going to go down our own path and we're going to fall foul of, like the Israelites did, a mess up. Rebellion leads to Destruction. The law is meant to be something that fills us with joy, it gives us freedom, because it tells us how to live safely and well in the world that God has put together. Let's jump into the book of Hebrews for a moment, Hebrews chapter 1. He, in the past, the writer says, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs." There are a few books in the Bible that class as wisdom. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Song of Solomon's. These are in the Bible to help us why? To help us to live lives that honour God. The book of Proverbs starts with these words the Proverb of Solomon, son of David, King of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you want to be wise go to the book of Proverbs. <laughs> if you don't want to be wise, ignore it. That's simple what it says, isn't it? If you want to be wise, everything you want, it has to live your life. It's all there. In simple, bite-sized chunks, it tells you how to live. And it tells us where to start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We have a simple choice. Your choice, my choice. The choice is, do we want to be foolish or do we want to be wise? That's your choice, wise or foolish. If you want to be wise, it tells us where to start. It starts with the, the fear of the Lord. Not fear in terms of, of negative fear, but an honoring and a reverence and a, a respect of God and all that he was and is and all that he has taught us. And we can despise the teachings of the Bible. We can say, I don't, want to know, I don't want anyone to tell me how to live my life. But the writer here, Solomon, says, well, if that's your attitude, that's the path of a fool. And that path leads to destruction. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. How are we going to respond to the wisdom of God? So, the Psalms and the Proverbs, those books there, are there to help us, to shape our lives. And then we have the prophets. They're both major and minor prophets in the Old Testament. These are recordings that, where God spoke through people. After, after King Solomon, uh, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms the northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. And they had their own path and their own kings. They did their own stuff. And some prophets were sent to the northern kingdom and some prophets were sent to the southern kingdom. But these prophets were called to, to call the people back into relationship with God. Some of them were called to demonstrate that in action. The most notable, I guess, is a Hosea, who, who was told to go and marry a prostitute a woman who committed adultery. And then when she went and committed adultery and, and left him, Hosea was told to go and buy her back up in the marketplace and take her back as his wife to, to show to the people of Israel what God's relationship with his people were like, how they were the adulterous ones that were, were kept, kept defiling themselves. But he would come back and buy them back and come and chase after them again because of his love and grace and mercy. But other prophets were called to do different stuff and act things out in a practical way as well. But they were calling the people back to follow him. What it meant to be people of God who showed how it was to live for God. What it looked like to be a just people. What it looked like to be a people who, who put God first in everything. These are the prophets. And God spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And those books are in our Bible, why? To help us to understand what it means to act with justice, to care for people, to be the people of God who show the world this is what it means, to love God. But the writer of the Hebrews goes on to say, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And we have the new testament this story of the messiah the story of the one who was sent by god and we're going to come to that next week but for today the old testament points us to this coming messiah throughout the old testament scriptures there's this pointing forward this sense of anticipation of one who is coming going to bring something new to be deliver his people And as we read through the Old Testament, we see how that it was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus, the, the last and final sacrifice, the one who opened up the way for us to have access to God the Father, who tore the temple to, uh, veil in two, metaphorically, but also physically and spiritually. He lived a sinless, holy life. He showed us how, when you take the Old Testament, law and prophets and wisdom you can live holy sinless blameless life he was a human being let's not think for any moment that just because he was, he was fully god that meant he had some somehow better access to god that meant that we can we can't even compete compare with him he was fully human at the same time so all of the human stuff that we go through All of those temptations that we experience, all of the the rubbish in our lives that we have, Jesus went through all of that, but he never sinned because he rooted his, his life in the Old Testament, in the law, in the relationship with God, in living out what God has said to us. He's the embodiment of the law. He shows us what it looks like to live a life of relationship with the Father, to live a life that demonstrates this constant desire to be a blessing to the nations. So we have a challenge with the Old Testament, don't we? How do we relate to it? What does it it look like? How do you understand it? Do you enjoy reading it? Do you dig into it? Is it part of your daily study? Well, we have a challenge with it because, you know, we may or we may not like it. And sometimes it's really tough and hard and some of the stuff in there is really not easy. So the question, for what kind of relationship do you have with the Old Testament? This is words from Psalm 119 again. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. For how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding for your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Is that our understanding of the Old Testament? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Oh, how I love your law. How many of us can say that? How many can say, I love the Old Testament. I love what it says. I love how it teaches, how it inspires, how it leads me to live for him. The words are sweeter than honey. Is that your relationship with the Old Testament? Well, as a church, we believe the Old Testament is important. We believe it's, it's, it's It's relevant. We believe it reveals who God is, and we will continue to teach it because it's significant for us. It's a part of who we are as God's people. We make no apologies, therefore, for teaching the Old Testament, for keep rooting ourselves back into the Bible. But we want to encourage you, encourage you to keep learning, keep understanding, keep reading. It's not easy. I get that. That's where we need people to help us understand. That's why we have the soul space to ask the questions. What does this look like? What does this mean? I read this. What is that? What are you on about there, God? Show me. Help me. Reveal it. That's why scholars have helped us. The likes of Ray have given their lifetime to help people like me to understand and unpack what those texts look like. But we don't put it to one side. We embrace it. We live it. We ask God to show us how to live through it. And as the people of Israel. They made their mistakes. They made their choices. But as God's new people, God's chosen people now, we seek to be those who live for God, who show the world what it means to love God, to love our neighbor. We continue to hold on to that mandate with all that we have to be a blessing to the nations. Let's pray.